All right. Good morning. Well, that wasn't nearly as embarrassing as I thought it was going to be, so. <laughs> he said he was going to embarrass me pretty good, but <clears throat> I am embarrassable. Um, this morning, I want to talk about uh, two choices. I kind of picked up a theme here. We had uh, Derek talked about two kingdoms. What was the one before Derek? It was two something before Derek. Okay, all right. And um, so now we got two choices. Pastor said he's going to condense the rest of the Ten Commandments into two. So just just to keep it going, which you can do if you read John. Uh, any rate, um, a single mom wanted to share a story with her children so that they could be established in their faith and in their walk with Christ. Since the kids were young, she just told them a simple story, a simple analogy. Now, she used her own experience to tell the story, which is always helpful. Um, It seems that their home was on the edge of the woods, and uh, there was a well-worn path back through the woods to a beautiful, clear lake. Uh, The problem was that every time she walked to the lake, she managed to fall into a a hole that was on the path. Evidently, there were a a number of holes, and they were well-disguised, and she fell into it. Now, she extricated herself and got back up, and, and all was good, and she went on to the lake, and it was fine. Um, so the next time she went out, of course, she was like, she was determined that she wasn't going to fall into the hole, right? So she, she did her best, and um, invariably she wound up falling into the hole again. It happened again, and she resolved never to do it again, and of course... A couple of weeks went by, and she had forgotten all about the holes. She just remembered the beautiful lake. So she went back, and, and it happened one more time. She says to her, she thought that her children would be very aware that there were holes on the path. And... They were because she told them exactly what happened out of their, her own experience. The writer in the book of Hebrews um, writes a, a masterful essay about the superiority of Jesus Christ. He's writing uh, to second generation Jewish believers, Jewish converts, who were under persecution. And he's concerned for their welfare. They probably lived in Italy. Uh, and he's writing to encourage them in their faith. If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer does the superiority of Jesus Christ. He talks about the superiority of Christ. Uh, he's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. 
He has a, uh, a superior name. He's offered a superior sacrifice. Uh, he provides a better covenant, a uh, superior uh, promises, and it's based on a superior sacrifice, and that is the sacrifice of the cross. The writer of Hebrews then basically tells the people that he is encouraging them. They were under pressure and under persecution. He's encouraging them not to grow weary and to lose heart. Under pressure, there was a temptation for these formerly Jewish believers to fall back into the ritual of the temple. The temple was still standing, and there was a there was a strong indication that they were tempted to go back to it because there was no persecution to go to the temple. There was no persecution to do what the Jews had done for centuries. There was persecution to follow Christ, and so he's writing to them and concerned about them. The first passage I want us to look at is in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hey, I can actually read this. That's pretty good. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So the writer says, pay close attention. Why? He says, pay close attention so you won't drift away. They were in danger of neglecting the word of God. They were in danger of neglecting the great salvation that Jesus had provided. And you may sit there and think to yourself, well, how is it possible to neglect my salvation? We'll get to that. I have, I have the privilege of teaching a Navigator's 2-7 class. And uh, one of the studies in, in uh, if, you've, if you're doing the study in chapter, in the lesson three, there's a, uh, a little story called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Um, how many read that? Anybody read that? Okay. Uh, so the... the the gist of the story is that we trade urgent things that take immediate attention. Like, we got to do this. And then we trade those for the important things that have real lasting value and last for, really, for a lifetime. We drift, we neglect our salvation when we allow urgent things to crowd out the things that are truly important. In the Christian life, that happens all the time. 
in this light, world in which we live in, it happens all the time. If we're not careful, we'll wind up doing things that seem to be emergencies and not doing the things that are important. How many people are doing the daily Bible? You know, I, you may not be up to uh, whatever page you're supposed to be on this today, 245 or whatever, but at least you're trying, right? So it's important to put aside time to actually be in God's word. And part of uh, being in the daily Bible is, is understanding it and, and knowing what it says, but also applying it and allowing God's word to speak to your heart and, and change your heart. The other passage, one of the other passages I had on, in the bulletin that I want to look at is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, that rest, so that no one will uh, fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 12, the word of God is what? It's living and active. It's sharper than any sword. It's piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit. There's nothing it doesn't get into. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's a scary thought, but <laughs> it's able to judge our motives. Verse 13, no one can hide. Nobody hides from God. Nobody hides from his word. Every believer has an innate ability and tendency to drift. We call it the sin nature. You and I, we have to work at not neglecting our great salvation. At not taking for granted and treating as routine what we have in Christ. Because that is something that if you've been saved for a while, invariably you're going to have to deal with the routine of the Christian life. And how do you deal with that routine? Does it just become humdrum and, yeah, I know how to do this? Or do you really depend on Christ and his spirit to guide you? So as you're reading the daily Bible, there's always three things you got to do. What does it say? Is observation. What does it mean? Interpretation. And what's the third thing? 
Application. What does it mean to me? What is God saying to me through his word? It's possible to just read the the Bible like a textbook. It is possible. It's possible to read it and have your mind wandering all over the place and just reading a bunch of words. But this is God speaking to his people. So if I don't make the time and the effort to have God speak to me, I've missed the point of why I'm in his word. The end of that uh, section in chapter 4 of Hebrews, it reminds us that Jesus is our great high priest. What did a high priest do? He represented the people. Now, in the Old Testament economy, the, the high priest did what? He went once a year with an offering first for himself and then for, a peop, for the people into the Holy of Holies. So once a year he got to offer a sacrifice for everybody. It's fascinating because they tied a rope around his leg in case he did something wrong because nobody was able to go in there. So if he did something wrong, God was going to strike him dead. And the only way to get him out was pulling on that rope. What Jesus made a sacrifice for sin once for all forever. For all the sin of all mankind of all time. Past, present, and future. He paid that debt at Calvary. This is a fascinating passage in Hebrews 4 because it says that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. you believe that? He does. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart and the vision of soul and spirit into places where we don't even think about. And Jesus invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace. I've always been a little leery about that word boldly because it's like I don't know <laughs> it's like do I really want to but the idea is not brashness but freedom to enter the ability to just go before almighty God and pour, your, pour out your cares and concerns I, I tell my uh, in my Sunday school class and even in the 2-7 class I seem to spend a fair amount of time in the book of Psalms. And I love the book of Psalms because it's human. And David especially, he writes, he starts off a psalm, and this is my generalization of the book of Psalms. He starts off a psalm and he he says, Lord, don't you see what's going on? Don't you hear my prayer? How come you haven't answered what's going on? I don't understand. And then he complains a little bit. He gets it out and just tells God exactly how he feels. That's what we do when we come before boldly before the throne of grace. But then invariably, what does David do? By the end of the psalm, he'll say something to the effect of, Yet I know you love me, you care about me, 
and that you're going you're gonna to do what is right for me. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with just pouring out your gut and just telling God exactly how you feel as long as you get back to the point where you're honoring him. So he says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. He invites us to receive mercy and grace. i give you the definition. Mercy. God does not give us what we do deserve. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. What did I deserve? I deserved to be in hell. Eternity without Christ. I didn't get it because I know Jesus. Grace is that God gives us what we do not deserve. I received the gift of eternal life in Christ. I didn't deserve it. Nobody who comes to Christ deserves that we're sinners saved by grace, right? So, what did God say to your heart when you read his word? If I asked you what passage you read, what did God tell you from that passage? You read Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about two choices. What did you get out of it? it just, it's only six verses, but you had to get, God had to tell you something. Did you make certain that you weren't distracted? Did you ask God the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word? I like that I like to say when I'm praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, turn on the light bulb. I I need to be able to understand. I gotta hear from you. If I'm just reading a bunch of words on a on a piece of paper, it's not it's not helping me. It's not doing anything to honor you. And that's why I'm doing this, is to honor you. I hear from you. I allow you to speak to me. And then it changes my life. And how I think. How I treat other people. How I care about the world around me. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, don't go through the motions. Don't neglect the word of God. Don't just let it come, become so routine that you think you have it down like that. And you don't need God the Holy Spirit. No matter what you do, every moment of every day, I need, you need, the power and the enablement of the Spirit of God. Because frankly, I can't take another breath without God providing it, right? So if I'm dependent on God for the next breath, then I'm surely dependent on God to empower, to speak to my heart, to direct my heart, to help me to be more and more like Jesus. And that's our goal, right? Right? To glorify him, to give him praise and honor and glory. That's ought to be the way it is. We got to be, you know, when it comes right down to it, we have to be dissatisfied with. First John 1 9 is a great verse. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I use that every day. I hope you do too. 
But you can get into a pattern where, just like that young mom, she kept falling into a hole on the path. I've been like that single mom. I've fallen into the same spiritually, the same sin hole every time. Not every day, but maybe every couple of weeks. And I had, I've had it, I, I conf- as soon as it happened, I confessed it and got right with God. But I didn't really repent. I just let it, I just kind of covered over the surface, as it were. And I didn't get down to the root cause. You know, we look around sometimes at others in the Christian life and we say, well, everybody's like that. You know, I'm just as good as A, B, and C, and, you know, why should I push myself? Our old sin nature will come up with every excuse and everything, every little way of keeping us from glorifying Christ. You know it's true because it happens to us, right? Now, the last passage is too long for me to read because I'll be up here all day. Um, everybody familiar with the passage in Luke 15 about the prodigal son? Okay, so the young one goes out, wants his inheritance, and he spends it in completely all the wrong ways. The older brother, he stays back, and continues to work. So the younger brother comes home after getting to the end of himself, which is the way it usually works, right? <laughs> we got to get to the end of ourselves before we turn to God. It's like, we can handle this, we can do this. Well, you can't, but you figure it out eventually. Uh, so we, he comes home and, and the father... It's a now. It's a it's a story about God the Father, how much He loves us. Okay. The father comes running to that younger son, who doesn't deserve anything except being disciplined. Right? I mean, I, I probably if I, and when I was growing up, my dad would have disciplined me, but uh, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but this father runs to that young guy and he says, you know. Get a robe, you know, make a meal, let's, let's celebrate. He came back, right? It's a, it's a good thing. Well, the older brother, this, this is my concern, and this is something I, I think a lot about. I hope you do too. The older brother was doing his duty, okay? He was there doing his chores, doing what he was supposed to do. Following the rules, like a good person. But you recognize that something was wrong with the older brother's mentality. Because as soon as they had a party, he says, he says to one of the servants, well, what's going on? And he resented the fact that they were throwing a party for the younger brother. He was angry, resentful, hateful. (laughs) 
Um, we, have, we have two choices. In my view, we have two choices. And if you look through the scripture, it's pretty clear that that's the way it is. We have a choice to live by the spirit or do the deeds of the flesh. Read Galatians chapter 5. It'll give you a whole list of here's the deeds of the flesh, here's what the fruit of the spirit is. Okay? So the older brother mentality is I want things my way, I want things done on my schedule, I want things done the way I prefer. The older uh, brother mentality is that uh, my choice, I want music that I like. I want a Bible translation that I agree with. Uh, I want my choice as to time and when I choose to forgive somebody who's hurt me. You know, the older brother wants to hold it over him, wants to keep him under what he thinks he's doing is keeping himself under pain, but he wants to keep somebody else under his vice. The older brother actually believed that he had earned the right to uh, have God uh, treat him special. He, he believed that he'd earned the right to have God say, you're, you're great, you're wonderful, you've done the right thing. But in reality, his mind and his heart were were poisoned, weren't they? He had all the wrong things going through his head. He was doing, he was doing the right things for all the wrong reasons. He was going through the motions. He was, it's like reading the Bible as if it's a textbook. Okay, I read the Bible. If somebody comes up and says, well, what did you get out of what you read? You can tell them what you read. You can't tell them what God's doing in your heart. So you almost can hear the older brother said, God, you owe me. And what you did with that younger brother is not fair. Because I did all the work and he did nothing. Right? How many times have you thought that way? I have. There's a second choice. There's another path. There's a better choice than just living in a way that satisfies you and nobody else. There's a better way than telling God, I deserve this. Trying to tell God that I've earned it. Really? (laughs) Have you? The scripture repeats a simple phrase from Genesis to Revelation. I have, uh, I didn't look it up on a computer. I have an exhaustive concordance at at my house. (laughs) An exhaustive concordance is basically a book that has every word in the Bible from A to Z. Every word, including A. Uh, And it's all listed there. Every Every time it's used, it's listed. And so, there's a phrase that's used from Genesis to Revelation. And the phrase is the fear of the Lord. Now, if you think about that, 
It's not, I'm afraid of God. Not that kind of fear. It's a a profound sense of awe, of reverence, of honor, of worship. Just a jaw-dropping wonder at who God is and what he's done. I don't know about you, but I, I think I do this, I purposely do this a lot because I, I never want to lose the fact that I'm a, I was a sinner saved by grace. Okay? If I get used to the fact that I've been saved, then it just becomes routine and mundane. It's like the old commercial of the the little guy getting up, time to make the donuts, you know? (laughs) And it's, he's getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that's how I'd look if I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, but I don't want to take for granted God's amazing grace had saved a wretch like me. Okay? And I I hope you don't either. If we treat God's grace like it's routine, like it's something we just take for granted, then we're going to be on the wrong path. Invariably, once you start doing that, you're going to fall into those holes that are on that path. Might be anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, hard-heartedness, Jealousy, envy, strife. We begin the wrong path as soon as we stop fearing God. When we lose the sense of awe and wonder of what we have in Christ, we're on the wrong path. The writer of the Hebrew, a book of Hebrews is trying to tell people, trying to tell these believers, pay attention. One thing fascinating about the, the fear of the Lord, it's worth noting that God's word links the fear of the Lord with obeying, obeying his word. So, It's not just an emotional thing, which it is. There should be a real sense of awe and wonder, a sense of reverence and worship about who God is and what he's done for me and what he's done for you if you're saved, right? But Jesus says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if... You know what it says? You do what I command you. You're my friends if you do it. If you're, you're my friends if you actually apply it. Not just get a big head. <laughs> you know, you can get all the Bible knowledge in the world if you haven't put it through your heart and into your life. You're missing the boat. So Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. And Jesus never just gave commands that were like to fill your head. 
They were always commands to do what? To love people. Love God and love people. You know, that single mom, she decided, she made a deliberate choice to take a different path. Now, it seems like a simple story, but if you think about it in a, in a really a spiritual way, we're all susceptible to falling into a trap of sin, of sin and confess, sin and confess. You've got to be dissatisfied with Sometimes this concept of the normal Christian life isn't good enough because there's more to it than just going through the routine and and gathering together. There's telling people about Jesus. There's encouraging one another. There's having a relationship so that you have a, a mutual desire to grow together. You've got to have somebody in your life that you can confide in. You do. I resisted that almost in my whole Christian life. I don't think I'm pri- proud. I'm just dumb. How's that? <laughs> but it's necessary. I, you know, you need somebody with skin on to go talk to sometimes, don't you? You know, you can talk to God and pour your heart out, and that's what we should do. But you also be accountable to somebody. The other thing I, I really find very helpful and fascinating is what David wrote in uh, Psalm 86, verse 11 says, Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. So, an undivided heart for a purpose, and that is to fear the name of the Lord. So it's a choice to have a single purpose, a single aim, a single affection. I love, I love my wife, Judy, more than any other person, but... My single aim and devotion and heart's got to be for Jesus. Without excuses, without distractions, without conditions. You know, if you tell God, I love you with all my heart, except it just, it doesn't ring true. The other, the other one I love is, is, Saul is on the road to Damascus, all right? And the bright light shines on him. And Saul has two questions. First question is, who are you, Lord? And notice he used Lord. And then he says, what shall I do, Lord? Ask God to reveal something more of who he is to your heart. Maybe a little more of his holiness, a little more of his love, a little more of his forgiveness of sin. Who are you, Lord? Who are you to me? Not just in a theology book, but in my heart.
And then the second question is, what shall I do? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to apply the word of God? How do you want me to be transformed today? How do you want me to talk to my neighbor or my coworker? How am I going to show more reverence, more awe, more wonder, more devotion to Jesus? Only by a purposeful desire to want to please him and know him better. I referred to this at the beginning, but the two two commandments, what are the two commandments Jesus said? The, the law and the prophets are all summed up by what? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we, we claim to do a pretty good job on loving God. I'm not sure if we all do a great job on loving one another as yourself, but every day we get a, a choice to follow one path or the other. Let's choose to love our Heavenly Father and to love each other. What does the scripture say? The world's going to know us by our love. So the challenge is that we love Jesus enough that we can, that we can love each, each other, right? You know, we get by all the idiosyncrasies and all the things that rub us wrong. We get through those things because we're so much in love with Jesus that it just flows out. And we have a forgiving heart. We don't hold grudges. We pray for each other. You know, if you think about our church, there's going to be a, a this, this place is going to change dramatically in 10 years. Because hopefully I'll be retired in 10 years for one thing, but uh, I'll be old enough. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's going to change. People, things are going to help happen with your health. Things are going to happen. Some people are going to move. Some people are going to do this or that and the other and go different ways. We're kind of at, at the precipice here with Harmony, in my view, and and more than mine, other people's too. We're at a precipice where it can go forward and, and to the glory of God, or it can just remain, we're doing the donuts. Okay? I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life when I thought doing the donuts was pretty good. I don't anymore. There's a lot more to it than just going through the routine, isn't there? Just gathering together and praising the Lord and then running off on our own direction. You see, Jesus has got to get a hold of your heart. He's got to get a hold of your head so that it sounds radical, but everything I do, everything you do, is a reflection of the love of Jesus. Isn't it? So do I love him enough? Well, I don't know. I doubt it. 
I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where I've got enough where I can say, my love for Jesus is right up there 100%. You know when that will happen? <laughs> when I'm in heaven. And you too. Let's choose to have an undivided heart so that we can fear the Lord together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love, your care, your patience and mercies. Lord, uh, you know how frail we are. You know how frail I am. And uh, Lord, we're desperate for your help. We're desperate for your grace and mercies, which are new every morning. Father, we want to be your people that love you and love each other so much that the people in this community recognize there's something different about the love for Jesus at Harmony Baptist Church and at Harmony Christian School. Lord, help us to make one that first step right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to have... Uh, Communion. I got to do some rearranging here. And uh, I'm going to ask the servers to come up. Now, what I'd like you to do is come forward. Not right this second, but come forward. Uh, I, I just, communion is, it's kind of like what I just said. It can be a ritual and be meaningless, or it can be the most important thing you do in today. Because what, why, what are we doing? We're remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. And that ought, to, that ought to bring a tear to your heart because Jesus died in my place when I didn't deserve anything but judgment. Communion is for those who know Christ as their Savior. You don't have to be a member of the church, but you do need to know Christ. And um, everyone is welcome if you're sitting next to somebody that's not capable of coming forward, then make a point of taking care of that person, all right? Okay? And uh, I'll just pray and we can come and uh, receive the elements. And when we're done, you can take the bread and then hold the cup and we'll do that together at the end. Father God, thank you for your broken body and shed blood that Jesus paid our debt of sin. Lord, uh, we sang a song that said, we'll never know how much it cost. And Lord, we don't. Lord, we know that um, that sin separated Jesus from the Father for the first time in all eternity. And yet, uh, it, the debt was paid, and we praise you and thank you for it. We thank you for the amazing privilege of 
being able to come and to worship you and to celebrate what we have in Christ. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, come on up. The crackers are gluten free, I forgot to tell you.
You'll have to help me so I get this right. Pastor says um, to the king and to his kingdom. There is a king. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for all that we are and all that we have in Christ. Help us, Lord, to love you more and more day by day and to demonstrate that with our love and devotion for the world around us, for each other. We pray and ask your blessing, your guidance, your grace for the day ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.